I'd like to think I'm leaving a, a positive impact on them. But it's it's a it's a daily lesson. Like every day is a learning curve with them. Nothing ever really prepares you for parenting. You just kind of figure out as you go along. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, Tyler, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm all good, Brooke. I'm all good. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Thank you so much for being here. I'm really well, thank you. Amazing. Um, so with I always say this with all disabilities I think how the individual relates to their disability is very different so for example I say that I don't have a hand I never say well I rarely say that I'm limb different but Mm. how do you refer to your disability I just say I've got one leg as well just like layman's terms this sometimes you'll say you know I've got congenital hip defects you know depending on who's asking but a lot of the time I'm just I've just got one leg and people ask how and it was from birth mm-hmm. um, so that's generally how I'll kind of address it and refer to myself limb difference is also a, a you know a proper term but I've never really used that myself it's only right. I've come across it in like my latter years but as far as I can remember I'm just the guy with one leg <laughs> yeah that's really similar to me like I'm the girl with one hand like yeah, yeah. I didn't know that what congenital limb difference was until I, I had to google it so mm. like I went to the doctors and I was like I needed to get some um like uh like stump sleeves and yeah. they were like so like what what is it and I was like I just, I just don't have a hand <laughs> and they were like mm, is that like amputation is that congenital and I was like I don't know what congenital means congenital means yeah yeah you take I mean, it out genital, it. like it refers to something else I was like what's that what to do with my <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and I was like you you take it however you want to take it but I really need those sleeves so yeah. if I can just get them that would be great <laughs> sort me out I need to I've got places to go <laughs> so um because yours is congenital you've obviously grown up with it so you don't know any different mm. and like how was that for you during like childhood and all that kind of stuff growing up so and- like I had to wear a prosthetic limb from from as soon as I could walk so probably from you know two or three and it was just something that I'd always kind of had to do from my earliest years I remember going to Roehampton um, which is a kind of limb fitting centre one I think one of the oldest and most established in the UK and um, like I kind of remember it fondly like going to the centre and you know it was like almost like a day out because you'd spend the whole day in there Um, you get fitted for it and stuff and like I always remember it being uncomfortable just because of where my again I can't say amputation but from where my missing limb starts it's literally from the hip so I don't actually have a residual limb you know I haven't got a bit of my thigh or you know anything below the knee so it actually fits around the hip and it was always you know a little bit cumbersome a bit uncomfortable but it was just what I always knew and you know as a kid I wore the prosthesis because one you know didn't know any different but I also didn't want to kind of stand out and I wanted to just blend in and be kind of normal and yeah. like everyone else. And the thing is in childhood, it like I remember one of my earliest memories was the leg never had a kind of freely moving knee joint. Mm-hmm. You actually had to press the button for the leg to go from kind of straight to bent. Oh wow. And it became like, you know, the running thing in my in my kindergarten class where everyone's like, can I push the button now? Can I press the button? And it used to be like quite a a thing that drew attention and not in a bad way, but you know, all my friends were like, Oh, can I push it now? And I'd sit down, the leg would stick out like that, and then they press the button and it would just bend down. Yeah. But then obviously as technology advanced, you know, start joints started moving by themselves and stuff. But as a kid, it didn't it held me back in some ways, like physicality movement wise. Like it was clearly apparent I had a you know physical limitation, like quite an obvious limp. Um, I did try and involve myself in, you know, sports as much as possible. I did really enjoy getting involved, you know, playing football and stuff, but wasn't the best footballer for obvious reasons. Just, you know, footwork and keeping up with the game wasn't always my strong point. But, you know, you try to involve yourself, involve yourself as best as you can. Um, I like to feel I was kind of included as, you know, 
with my friendship circles and I guess the teachers at school, but there was always a clear kind of physical limitation there, which kind of did play on me, I guess, psychologically, subconsciously. And I mean, it's only now as I'm older that I'm doing all this kind of fitness stuff that I'm realising how physically capable I am. But as a youngster, yeah, none of that stuff was there. I found it like, it's really funny that you say about Roehampton. I didn't go there. I went to somewhere in Nottingham. Mm. But I remember it being like a day out. I remember going to like the prosthetic centre and it would be a day out. Like you'd get a day out of school. You would go there, you'd get your plaster cast and yeah. always use like those pencils that were so bright and they'd always stain <laughs> your skin. <laughs> yep. like draw around like whatever limit was that they had to put plaster cast on. And I always remember being like, oh, it's such a fun day out. And you get like a lolly and you get yeah. your plaster cast. And then like for me, Ikea was across the road. So then we went to Ikea and that was oh. because Ikea is so fun. Get the get, get the food yeah. as well. Yeah, get that. the meatballs, yeah. like have a good time. It was like a good day out. And I haven't actually thought about that in so long because it used to be like every three to six months that I would go until I stopped. Like I stopped wearing this prosthetic when I was, I think I was five when I stopped wearing one. Mm. But I like, I have such vivid memories of like going, like going there and being like, it's a day out. And like, day out. Literally, I would look daddy. forward to it. Yeah, as a kid, I would really look forward to it because, like you said, it meant a whole day out. You know, you get to see your prostitution, you know, have a bit of a laugh and stuff. The thing is, I remember though, there was no other like kids my age. I'd never met anybody my age ever in like the whole like 20 something years I was going. It was always, it would always be like older guys who, you know, might have been in a war or motorbike accidents. So it was still fun because they had those, they had like the kind of walking aids, like the frames, the parallel bars, as it were. And I just go there and like do, you know, kind of around on them. Yeah, them. like roly polies and like just to pass time because it would be a long day, like a really long day. Yeah. And then as I got older and like had more responsibilities, I'm like, okay, I've been here for like six hours. Like, guys, you're taking too long. <laughs> like, things started to change. And eventually I stopped wearing my leg as well, kind of like you said. Um, but this happened kind of later on in my early 20s. Uh-huh. Just started to wear it a lot less. Um, I actually had a partner at the time that said, you know, this leg's really uncomfortable for you. Why do you wear it so often? And it's kind of like a, a light when oh it's like, yeah. like, yeah, like, why do I kind of put myself through this daily pain and discomfort, which, you know, you kind of just got on with to fit in and be normal. And yeah, I started to wear it a bit less and kind of had to get over that psychological change of people then obviously knowing that, you know, I've got the one leg and I'm using my crutches. Yeah. But over time that passes. And I think just the whole comfort thing of not having that, you know, grinding, wearing constant pain and discomfort. Yeah. You know, the toss up became, you know, it kind of balanced itself out. And I was like, you know what, this is me now. Yeah. I don't really need the leg. I always try to make it as comfortable as possible, like get really involved in the kind of creation process. Mm-hmm. Every time the leg came, it would be super uncomfortable. You know, you have to kind of adjust to a new stump yeah. every single time. And then it takes a little bit for it to kind of break in. Yeah. But it always was uncomfortable, always, you know, hurt to some degree. Completely understand. I always remember, I remember prosthetics being so heavy. Mm-hmm. Mine was obviously a hand. And this, like, this was like very, very early 2000s. And they were using batteries. And these batteries were like, big like old school cell phone big yeah, yeah. two so there'd be one either side of like my residual limb and they were so heavy and I remember thinking and I was only like I was really young I was five I remember being like what is the point in this like <laughs> does it actually help me yeah All my hand could do was open and close like I couldn't move any of the fingers it was literally just a case of like open like open close and that was it there was nothing there was nothing else it could do they weren't all singing no, that individual kind of because technology yeah. didn't they didn't have that technology then and it's amazing that they have it now what year was this like this is early 2000s we're talking okay. i okay. was this is an interesting fact i was the first child in the uk to have an electronic hand really? i don't really know how that came about Somehow someone put me forward for it and they were like, yeah, this gal, Brooke, she can, she can get the electronic hand. And then like, I think, oh, like three months later, I was like, this isn't for me. 
<laughs> stopped, yeah, yeah. stopped wearing it. Yeah, well, they was... were just—they were just so heavy and so uncomfortable. And I think it gets to a point when you're like, I get that I'm wearing this to almost fit into society, but actually, mm. I don't need to please society for anybody else's sake. And it's for, and you know, deep down, is this helping me? Absolutely not. So why am I wearing it to fit in society? Is that really a good enough reason? Absolutely not. Absolutely get if you've got a problem with it, then that's your issue, not mine. Like I'm living my best life without my prosthetic and it's great. So move on. Literally hit it on the head. Literally hit it on the head. And it was a case of me wearing the leg to just fit in and kind of fit to societal norms, essentially. Yeah. When you get to a point, I mean, yours came way earlier than mine. So you were a lot more self-aware than me, but it took a little while for me to get to that point where I thought, you know what? I, I don't need it. it yes, it kind of helps me with mobility to some degree and it it aided my quality like I, I can't knock it for all the years I did wear yeah. it because it, it did serve a purpose then but then it got to a point where I thought well I think I passed my driving test at that time as well I got a car which also acted as legs for me which you know made me wear the leg even less but yeah I got to a point where I just accepted my difference and didn't really want to hide it anymore I didn't really do it to make a bold statement. It was just like, I'm actually more comfortable with the yeah. leg off. Yeah. And I found I was actually more, you know, agile and more able with it off. Yeah. A lot of the strain then went onto the kind of arms and my shoulders and wrists because I was using crutches all the time. But, you know, I was kind of falling over less. I had better balance because I'm naturally on the one leg. And it yeah, I think kind of... Insane. I've watched <laughs> you work out. Like, your balance is unreal. <laughs> And, and that's just a, a kind of natural adaptation that I've yeah. just always had. And when I actually had the leg on, I would be a little bit more unstable just because as I'm walking, I put all of my weight onto the, the prosthetic limb for that split second. And sometimes the knee would just give out. Like I'm on the street walking and it would just give way. And I just buckle in the street and everyone's like, oh my God, you're okay. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like just trying. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry about me. It's all good. <laughs> I'm fine. Just my ego's bruised. Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, so yeah, with the leg off and just kind of being in my natural state, yeah, definitely. Like, haven't looked back. Yeah. Like I said, I get quite achy in the shoulders and like traps are tight and stuff. But you know, swings and roundabouts. There, there are positives and negatives to both, isn't there? There's always going to be mm. overcompensation in the body, no matter where it is for where you like your limb doesn't exist so for mm. me like my back is obviously so much stronger on one side than it is on the other. yeah but I'm trying to figure you know i'm doing a bit of like unilateral work we're all trying to work on it it's all good yeah trying to work with what we've got yeah exactly so with all of all of this so you said that you were wearing your limb up until you're about like early 20s and stuff so how has that affected like your career and and what what like route you took and where you went down because I know that you were involved in wheelchair basketball and now you're a PT I'm just wondering what what was the route to all of that and was it you know were you guided by your disability or is that mm-hmm. nothing to do with it actually nothing to do with it so you you know we did miss out a, cru- a crucial part of the story and you mentioned it with um wheelchair basketball tell me it and I, <laughs> it's like I know you I mean, um, so I started, huh? I did my research. <laughs> yeah, that's good. As a good podcast does their research. Um, so I started to play properly in 2008, 2007. Um, found, I mean, I did actually get introduced to the sport when I was 16. Um, I was doing my GCSEs at the time, so couldn't actually commit to like full-on training. Um, so missed it all out, kind of went to uni, you know, I didn't do any kind of sports. When I graduated, I was working in an office doing some kind of admin work just to kind of make ends meet. And I found the game again. Um, really came at a time where I didn't really have much kind of direction in my life. I didn't really know what I was doing. Definitely wasn't doing any kind of activity. My diet was ter- terrible, you know, post-student lifestyle and all That's that kind of stuff. That little bit of freedom that you get when you're a student. So you think 100%. you play like every night and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just takeaways chicken shop you know chides yeah all of that all of that luckily i didn't give myself like high cholesterol like you know honestly i don't know student i really really don't i look back at my life and i'm like how did i survive how did i get through that yeah yeah like i work out at least 
five or six times a week and it's like it's a real outlet for me I love obviously like I love it Mm. I I played uni hockey and that was only training like twice a week and then for the rest of it I think I was out or drinking and I I don't drink now at all and I'm like (laughs) how how did I how did I do that to myself like no wonder yeah Yeah. you look back and you think what was happening there but it's all part of your journey and your learning curve. Oh, it was good fun. It was good fun. Yeah, that is it. Um, but yeah, I found a club, got involved there. And in doing that, got drafted into the GB Men's Development Programme, which then kind of levelled everything up a notch in terms of, you know, intensity, skill set, dedication. Still wasn't like lifting in the gym or really dialing in my nutrition then. Like, that all came a bit later on. But essentially, I then went to Germany to play semi-professionally because all the all the top players in the squad played in Europe. So they played in Germany, Italy or Spain. Like Those are the best kind of European countries to play in. And I thought if I want to be amongst the best, I've, or if I want to be the best, I've got to do what they do. So I then you know, packed my job up, went and stayed in Germany for three seasons playing out there. So that was, you know, really good experience. Learned a lot from all the, all the top players that I had in my team and then playing against like high standard players each weekend but in doing that you know we trained four times a week so we trained for like two hours a day and had a you know a high quality match every weekend just from that increase in activity like start to see my fitness improve my body composition change you know I started to dial in my diet and eat better and like all these benefits started to happen mm-hmm. over the course of like six to eight months I was like oh I, I can see my abs I'm like this is great like I did. It's like, I'm, I'm loving this. This is awesome. And came back to the UK after like three seasons there. And I was like, I, I can't go back to my office job. Like I'm now fully kind of immersed in this kind of fitness and activity and healthy living. And yeah, I went and got my PT qualification, just something cropped up, like diploma level two and three, um, 12 week course. And I was like, yep, yeah, I want to do it. I didn't really have a plan. I just thought I'm going to go into the industry I've experienced all these benefits to my kind of health and well-being, and I wanted to help others achieve the same. Yeah. So I got the qualification and then got kind of funneled into a gym. And you ask about kind of my disability and did it affect me? I actually considered wearing my prosthetic limb again to be taken seriously. Oh, really? As a trainer, yeah. So I was I like limiting beliefs is something I've I've battled with all my life pretty much, and I still do now. And even up until joining the industry, I was like, you know, no one's going to really take, are people going to take me seriously as a fitness trainer with one leg? They might think, oh, you know, what can you do? And I thought, you know, I might not be able to spot people on exercises without the other leg. A bunch of stuff. Lo and behold, it hasn't affected me at all. If anything, it's worked in my favour. Yeah. Um, people just kind of see me as, you know, the guy with one leg, but they see me as it's it's just normal to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can function, I can get around, I can, you know, I look after myself, try and better myself daily, you know, eat well, try and move as much as I can. And this is just with my one limb. Yeah. So people see me and, you know, hopefully a lot of people do say they take inspiration from me and the way I live my life. Yeah. And if, you know, if I can do it, then so can they. So it hasn't really limited me in any sense. If anything, it's like my USP. It's something yeah, that helped me kind of stand out yeah and it's still weird being in that space of kind of focus and being unique in a way because historically I've always wanted to blend in and hide my disability but now it's like it's a lot more accepted it's a lot more celebrated generally in society and it's like yeah if you've got a unique difference just embrace it run with it and and crush it whatever comes away yeah, for sure. I think that's really interesting that you say that you went, obviously you went to Germany, you did your three seasons. And the way that I'm like picturing it in my brain is that it's almost like you were pickled, like you were submerged into fitness. Mm-hmm. So you're pickled into something, you can't unpickle it. Yeah. Like you, once you're like dunked into that brine, you've kind of absorbed it or you can't like take it out of you no no like it's, it's a natural progression that you then came back home and were like I've got to stay in this fitness world because it yes. did so many good things for you yeah 100 percent. yeah I, mean, I didn't know where it would lead or what would happen just at that time I thought I like the worst thing I can do is go back to and like not knocking people who you know work in offices everyone needs to 
do what they do and find their lane. When I was in the office, you know, I'd be there, you know, nine to five. And again, like I'd just be sitting down, computer, getting up and getting like a Red Bull at like 10 o'clock. Yeah. You know, eating crap foods and just generally not feeling very good in myself. But at the time, you don't know what else to do. That's your kind of means to an end. And then being exposed to that lifestyle of, you know, rigorous training and, you know, like teamwork and team cohesion and camaraderie and all these things. I was like, yeah, like I, I really enjoyed my three years here. Mm-hmm. Obviously couldn't keep doing it just because life priorities change and stuff, but I did want to continue in the fitness industry or at least in that space. Amazing. And everything kind of just happens for a reason and just fell into place. And here we are now. Did you learn any German whilst you were out there? Yeah, so I did German at secondary school. Oh, well, that's super and, handy. <laughs> so, had, like, as I was doing it in school, I'm like, I'm never going to use this ever. Like, this is the most pointless, harsh, ugly language on the planet. Never going to use it ever again. And lo and behold, the opportunity came up to. So, I had a couple of offers from one team in Italy and then this German team. I was like, I don't know any Italian. Um, Germany is nearer. I know a bit of German. I'll go here. Yeah. And yeah, like I, I got there and it's funny in that part of Germany I was in, there's a lot of kind of US Air Force bases. Uh-huh. So there's German people around the area, they would put, you know, two and two together. He's black and he's got one leg. He must be American. I'm like, no, no, I'm from, I'm from England. I'm from London. And they heard me speak. And they're like, oh, your English is, is really good. for Your German is really good for an English guy. I was like, yeah, I learned it in school stuff. So I, I could say enough to get through like a very short conversation and then it would all stop there and people found out I'm from London they want to learn they want to practice their English so it wasn't really like I got stuck in a way that's everyone everyone really wanted to speak English a lot of the time and practice their English so I was like okay cool all right if you say I so. will be that person I will take one for the team <laughs> I language, not a problem <laughs> yeah so it's all good it's all good so Obviously, with all of all of this that like you worked in, done your work in Germany, you've come back, you've been a PT, you've like decided you're not going to wear your prosthetic anymore. Do you believe, believes maybe not the right word, but I'm not really sure what the right word would be. Do you think that having a disability has given you like a particular positive attribute? So, for example, I, and I've said this so many times in this podcast, but I believe that my me not having a hand has made me incredibly tenacious Mm. and I rarely don't meet a goal that I set for myself no matter how long it takes me or what adaptions I have to create I will get there do you believe that you have something similar that's like ingrained in you exactly that literally what you said um I mean all through our lives we've had obstacles you know limitations challenges and we found our way through them or around them probably not knowingly but you you just adapt Mm -hmm. and progress and move anyway but I think more so in the in the fitness space and kind of the space I'm in now I'm finding out so much more about myself and the same thing about resilience and kind of grit and determination like I'm not naturally uh kind of kind of relentless driven facing challenge type person um, you know, kind of human nature is you just kind of seek comfort. You don't really oh, seek yeah. comfort. Now in the space I'm in, I'm definitely challenging myself more and kind of seeking out the discomfort and almost trying to challenge my character, essentially, and finding that I'm able to do things I couldn't do before or I didn't think was possible. And, you know, I'm putting myself in very uncomfortable, discomforting situations. I CrossFit, and, you know, functional fitness, that kind of stuff. But I don't know, like it, it's just given me a new, I don't say a new lease of life, that sounds a bit too kind of dramatic, but I definitely have found that I'm more resilient than I thought I was. I'm more kind of, I can see things through a lot more as well. And yeah, definitely a lot of positives have come from it that I never really would have thought possible. It, I don't, if I hadn't been in this space yeah that makes sense yeah it does and I think what you said is really true that I think it's 
for for us particularly because we were both born without limbs so we were born with our disabilities we haven't like lost anything or acquired anything Mm. our natural problem solving abilities are ingrained pretty much straight away like there is not really an option to not have that because it's Mm. almost that it's very very going back to like hunter gatherer if you don't figure out your problem solving abilities you are not going to survive and so I think and it's only through this conversation that I've just thought actually like my problem solving abilities are unnaturally good like I'm known as the problem solver because I can Mm. usually see at least three different pathways where a lot of other people can't and I think that does come from having to do it so much in my like day-to-day life unbeknown to myself you just it's autopilot isn't it it's almost just massive just get it done massively it's yeah I've I've never really thought of that before so that's a little bit of information (laughs) for everyone (laughs) even for myself yeah yeah we we learn and learn from each other and for sure you know even when we had the adaptive games and that's obviously where we met as well just kind of seeing everyone on the day adapt things to their own situation and just crush it I mean like for us who are kind of born with our disabilities we just find a way through but people kind of say to me you know, how how do you find it? And do you, do you deem yourself not lucky in a sense? But because we've not known any different, it's just how we've always been. And I say, you know, people who have had, you know, lost their limbs through trauma or through, you know, disease or, or whatever the situation is, like it's, a, it's quite a big hurdle, if not, you know, a massive hurdle to overcome psychologically from being, you know, non-disabled, able-bodied to then having to adapt and accept this new life that they've got ahead of them. But, you know, seeing people like us, other people out in the space who are doing, you know, awesome things, you know, hopefully it gives people hope and, and motivation that anything is possible. It's just they've got this hurdle to get over first. Yeah. But I guess for us, it's almost been like all of our lives, we've had this kind of psychological battle, if you if you want to call it that kind of, it's not been immediate trauma it's just been something that's kind of been underlying all the way and you just build a resilience to it and find a way to get through yeah complete the task it might take a bit longer than someone else you might have to take a few pit stops and a few diversions but you know we get it done at the end of the day yeah and I think that's super important and I I think that I always say that even though you might not have seen someone who looks like you or like you know being very very basic like looks like you who has one leg or looks like me who only has one hand just because you haven't seen someone complete the task doesn't mean it can't be completed but accept the fact that doing the task and completing the task will look different to an able-bodied person don't think that how I clap my hands is how you're going to clap your hands because it's going to be two very different things but it's still going to be a hand clap at the end of the day The task is accomplished at the end of the day, regardless of how it looks. Exactly, exactly. So with this, have you got like one bit of advice that you would either give your younger self or someone with the same disability as you, looking back? Um, My younger self, I'd probably say, like, embrace your difference. Uh, Don't try and blend in, don't try and hide it, don't try and be like everyone else. Like, except you might have some limitations, but understand you are, you are strong, you're resilient, you're powerful, you're deter- you can do whatever you put your mind to. It just might take a little bit of adaptation and, you know, thinking about it. But yeah, definitely just kind of be yourself. Don't try and blend in and conform to don't worry what people think so much definitely that's a gem i'll tell myself from my old self and if you know someone else who's in a similar situation i think now it's a lot easier to find inspiration and motivation around again like the rise of social media that's one of the good things about it um you know we've got things like the paralympics i think from london the awareness of disability and the acceptance even celebration you know, a lot of people I know who are non-disabled, they'll say they enjoy watching the Paralympics more than the Olympics because it's like, they're like, oh, the real show begins now. And I think 
somebody in my situation or any situation can feel like they can find a community or find belonging and knowing that there are people out there like themselves who are just doing amazing things and it's not a case of you've got to hide what you've got or you know reside to a life of just you know being locked indoors it is, you can actually live a full and complete life regardless of your disability or impairment yeah and the rise of social media I think has got a massive massive role to play in that mm-hmm. when I think back to when I was little like I'm not really that old I and actually this is still true to this day I never saw somebody who looked like me in the spaces that I wanted to be in never. and mm. through social media that's why I turn up so much on it because I think even if someone sees that they can do like you know they can go to the gym they can go out they can go on holiday they can do all these fun stuff things and look like me they they'll have the belief that they can do it as well 100 because i never i never saw anybody look like me never like, never and I, I still haven't really all that much but you know we're getting there we're getting there mm-hmm. but social media you can you can find your tribe very much through like a couple of clicks of a couple of buttons and you can, it's crazy, isn't it? yeah. yeah, you can, you can find people who look like you doing the things that you want to do, or if they're not doing the things that you want to do, crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the power of it now. And you're completely right. Never saw anyone like me out and about or, you know, didn't have, I was the only disabled kid in my school. Yeah. Same. Like in the whole of London, like I never saw anyone else. And it's only upon joining the kind of wheelchair basketball community that I saw, you know, a vast array of different abilities and disabilities and and conditions. But, you know, again, in the fitness space, never really saw it. Followed a few people online, but, you know, they might be in the States. And again, it's only recently that I've, I think even at the adaptive games, again, like I've met up and bumped into other adaptive athletes and there are you know a fair amount of us in the uk but we just haven't really had an, an outlet or an opportunity to all kind of come together yeah. and again just the power of social media and even kind of media and media in general a lot of kind of businesses brands they're now really embracing the kind of diversity and inclusion aspect and yeah. including you know models with disabilities as well which, which is great tv you know all these things it's now kind of being open a lot more and just being put forward a lot more. And that's good for younger generations. They'll look on billboards, they'll look on, you know, TV adverts and see people like them, you know, with, you know, brands or on TV shows or, you know, who's think they might be like a, a music, an artist one day who's yeah. got a disability and they're celebrated. And I think it can only go up, from, it can only go up from here. But when I was younger, there was nothing like this at all. So it's good to be around in a time where it's a lot more positive celebrated and we're actually involved in that process as well. Yeah. And speaking of TV, can we, can we talk about the Ninja Warrior performance? (laughs) Yes. Ninja Warrior. Um, That was at the time was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, This was in 2018 and at the time, my Instagram handle, funnily enough, was the one-legged ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do like a lot of calisthenics and like body weight workouts and kind of a lot of it would look quite, you know, eye-catching and flashy. And I'd, yeah. you know, go to London and just like hang off the side of a traffic light and all these kind of things just to get reactions and kind of make some like really cool content. And somehow an email from ITV landed in my inbox and like we're doing a you know mass casting for ninja warrior like would you like to get involved it wasn't to me directly but i filled out the application thought you know why not let's give it a shot and they're like congrats you made it through to the auditions i've i've gone i've gone to the audition in a crossfit box in um central london somewhere and you know you do a few fitness tests and stuff and then they then got the email to say yep you're on so yeah i went up there and it was a great day met a great bunch of people um, then you get shown the different obstacles on the day because you don't know until you get there. So a few of them, you know, the the first two that I saw, like, mm, okay, looks quite challenging. Then they brought out the spinning balls, and I was like, nah, don't know how I'm going to do that because they. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. 
And there was like an actual, you know, a, a ninja who does the course for you to show you how to do it. Yeah. And, you know, when they did those, I was like, yeah, that's going to be a bit challenging for me. And they did actually say, look, you know, it's, that one's going to be quite hard. Do you want to come back tomorrow? Because it will be a different course. Uh-huh. Right, well, I'm already here. Like I've traveled up, you know, two and a half hours on the train already. I'm here. Like we might as well just give it a go, even though it looked pretty impossible to do. So I'm like, you know what, let's just give it a crack anyway. It is what it is. And um, it's funny, the whole the whole thing, like I knew I wasn't going to be able to get up the wall at the end anyway. Uh-huh. So that's another one of these kind of psychological things where, you, you know, you're going all that way to take part. And I'm knowing that I'm not going to be able to climb the walls. I've tried it in like trampoline parks and <laughs> other places. I'm like, it's physically impossible, but let me just go anyway and do my best, see where I can get with it. And yeah, when it was time to go up on up on on the stage for my turn, like I'm standing backstage hearing the crowd and like the the butterflies, the nerves, I'd never felt anything like it. Really? Yeah, like I all to the point of feeling sick. Like I was literally just standing there like you know, practicing all these deep breathing techniques and stuff. Like, this is insane. Like, how did I get here? But then they called my name. They're like, Tyler Sword. And so I'm like, this is it. Let's do it. So up. yeah, that's it. Showtime. Let's, let's, let's show and prove. So yeah, done, you know, cop down the stairs and I've done the first obstacle, done the second one. And obviously the third one done as good as I could, fell into some really cold water. And it was, it was quite a, uh, liberating experience just to actually do it get a little bit further than some of the kind of able-bodied contestants which a lot of people are like you did awesome you did amazing and it just kind of pushed me well out of my comfort zone yeah and it became a point where I'd always refer back to that if I was ever kind of doubting myself if I was feeling a bit nervous or anxious about something all right mate you went you know you went on Ninja Warrior and you, you crushed it to the best you could you can tackle this. This is no problem. Yeah. And when I kind of got back to my gym and when it got aired on TV, like the amount of people, the amount of support and just the messages of support and people like really emotional about it. And I I didn't know it had such kind of power and such effect on people. And yeah, I mean, I always refer back to it as one of my proudest moments, even though if, if that bit of the course wasn't there and it was something else kind of upper body, yeah. So I definitely would have got further, but, you know, it's not kind of... Obstacle was the complete, like, it was like a trapeze swing, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And that would that for you is, like, absolutely perfect. Yeah, like, I I was, like, bricking it on that particular one, but luckily I had kind of practised something similar back home. And, you know, you kind of had to get that swinging action, which, again, coming from, like, a kind of calisthenics, not gymnastics background, but learning all that kind of stuff, body control, like it, it was manageable for me. But then, yeah, it landed and I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of just thought, let me just hop on them really quickly and just jump and hope for the best. But yeah, that didn't work. So ended up getting submerged in cold water. And then next thing I know, I've got the really attractive Rochelle Humes right next to me asking me questions. I'm freezing cold. I'm, you know, so- soaking in water and... It was fun. It was really good. Um, and funnily enough, they've emailed again to say, hey, we're doing season six. And I'm like, yes, get me in. I'm in. Yeah, I'm going to go again. I'm going again. Yeah, I've got unfinished business. So I'm going to, even yeah. though it's been like three years, but I'd like to think I'm still physically capable to give it a shot. And Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear all about it. I think that'd be amazing. Because I literally just kind of submitted it yesterday. No way, yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. As as is. <laughs> yeah, just in time, yeah. So we'll see what happens. I think as a returning contestant, like I should have a a fairly good chance of getting through. But we'll see. I can't get what you're up against now as well. Yeah. Um the course changes every time. They said they're adding some new elements to it, which I guess I'm not able to like I don't know for sure, but they've got some twists. I think they're trying to kind of emulate the American and Australian versions. Um, so yeah, they might end up having like a, I don't know, not an adapted version, but if they get someone else with one leg on there, then they could kind of pit us two against each other. That would be awesome. That would be sick. So yeah, that was my first kind of big TV appearance. Um, and oh, 
<laughs> was that a sneeze or a cough? Maybe? It was a cough. I was really confident. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't, not yet, not yet, not yet. Um, so yeah, that was kind of one of the biggest challenges that I've had, like kind of mentally and kind of pushing myself out of a comfort zone. And yeah, I always kind of list it as one of my proudest achievements. Yeah. So I guess there'll be a follow-up soon, hopefully. I can't wait to hear about it and watch it. I'll be cheering. I'll be like, woo, I know him. <laughs> I've trained with him, yes. I watched him do some really cool stuff. <laughs> Claim to fame. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're also a dad. So tell me, tell me about being a dad with a disability. Do you think, obviously you don't know any different, so it's, it's no different to you, but how, mm. how does it, how do you relate to it with your children? Like, do you talk about it or is it like it's kind of one of those things that's just accepted and it's, it's done? It's just generally accepted, but, you know, the odd time they'll crack a joke and like, Daddy, can you do this? You can't do it because you've got one leg. <laughs> I'm like, don't you cheeky son. I can, do anything, I can do anything I want. But they've always seen me, you know, as having the one leg. Yeah. But again, I think just because I'm able to live quite an independent and free life, I'm, you know, I kind of, I'm out there, I'm picking them up from school, I'm, you know, engaging with their friends, you know, kids to kids, kids, you know, stare, they just say what they see and, you know, they're like, oh, daddy, why has he got one leg? Mommy, he's only got one leg. And I, I'm used to that. And I'll, I'll happily kind of explain and talk to the kids. If the parents like, you know, let's go and ask him. But a lot of the time the parents are like, Shh, be quiet, like, <laughs> you know, like, don't offend him. And, you know, I, I can't be offended because I've always had to explain for as, you know, as early as I could talk. Yeah. In why I've got a limp or why I've got one leg or, you know, all these kind of things. And yeah, I'd like to think my kids kind of know that's just how daddy is. But, you know, I always try and tell them, you know, you, you can live a full and active life. It doesn't really matter if you've got one leg or two or one arm or, or two. And I'll, you know, always try and be as fit and playful and involved with them as I can. And this is one of the kind of reasons why I train. And my priorities have massively changed from, you know, when I first kind of got into fitness, it was to, you know, look good and have a good rig and yeah. all these kind of things. Now it's more a case of I, I want to train so I can be the best dad and the most kind of physically able dad possible yeah where you know we can play and I don't get puffed out or I can you know pick them up and play with them and you know just be like a really fun and engaging dad yeah without the leg and you know they always say oh daddy you're really strong and they you know can I feel your muscles and things like that and it's it's really cute but I'd like to think I'm being a good role model to them yeah by you know showing them the benefits of activity and exercise and kind of eating healthily and just kind of leading by example and living my life the best way I can. And hopefully it rubs off into them. But I do think they are proud. I mean, they always kind of, I hear them telling whenever one of their friends asks, oh, where's your leg? And like, they'll kind of jump in and say, he was born with just the one and, but he could do really cool things. And it kind of just makes me feel really proud that they aren't embarrassed by it. And, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'd like to think I'm leaving a, a positive impact on them, but it's it's a it's a daily lesson. Like every day is a learning curve with them. Nothing ever really prepares you for parenting. You just kind of figure out as you go along. Yeah, but, you know, I've got two beautiful girls there, so hopefully I'm doing my best to you know raise two well-rounded and balanced individuals. Yeah, I think it's so true that your your training changes as well. Mm. So, like I, I have loads of nieces and nephews. I think I've got like six of them, which is a lot. Mm. Yeah, no, a lot. Wow. Christmas is a wild time. <laughs> yeah. it's also, really expensive. <laughs> Literally, and right. I always, and I've always said this that I always want to be able to like run around with them and like pick them up and it mm. not be like, oh no, they're too heavy and I can't carry them on one side. Yeah. So like part of my training is. For my future children, as in when that happens, because I I love kids, I love being around kids, I've worked with kids and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's um it's always I think in the back of my mind is that at some point in my life there will probably be a time where my body won't be as strong as someone my own age, just naturally because of you know I'll have 
I probably will have problems with my back later on in my life. Yeah, I've got scoliosis as well. Yeah. Um, there's just things that happen. Yeah. yeah, and I just think right now, like, my aim is to have the, like, strongest and fittest body for future me and for okay. my future that, like, family will look like. And I want mm-hmm. to be, like, the fittest and most able body version of myself for that. And that's a powerful driver, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Massively. Like, aesthetics, you know, it's powerful to begin with, but with that, you're never really happy. Yeah. And that's something I kind of tell my clients at the gym and, and online. You know, you can train to look a certain way, which is cool, but you'll never really have an end line or an end goal. But when it comes to something like, you know, something with actual value or something that you value, and like you haven't got a fam- you know, family of your own yet, but it's just from where, the way you're talking, you, I can tell it's something that it does mean something to you right now. The way you train, you want to be the strongest and fittest mum you can be. And then, you know, even for your grandkids too. And you started, you know, at the time you have and you've got plenty of time. For me, I started a little bit later in the whole kind of fitness game, but it's never, never, you know, it's never too late. No, never too late. And I want to be able to, you know, still move freely and, you know, kind of bend down and pick them up and all these kind of things. Because like you said, we start to deteriorate as we get older. We're probably not going to be our physically capable self like we are now. But let's try and put ourselves in the best situation in the best position possible so that when the time does come, you know, the, the, the deterioration doesn't happen so quickly. Yeah. I mean, even now, like when I take my little one to the toilet sometimes in the night, I've got to pick her up from, sometimes she sleeps on like a floor bed. So I've got to, you know, pick her up, put her on my shoulder and I've got to get from the floor into a squat and then stand up. And all of this just, it just reminds me of stuff we're doing in the gym with like, sandbags and goblet squats and you're deadlifting your child (laughs) basically yeah and this is the whole thing about kind of functional training and this is you know why I really prefer that style of training because it carries over into my daily life and it just builds us as stronger more robust human beings and it just always makes me laugh and I like you know pick her up and then put her on the toilet and then pick her up again I'm like this is just all stuff that I'm doing in like my wads and like my metcons and stuff and it's just like, yeah, like this is why I do train and why I want to be as fit as possible for as long as I can be. Because, you know, I don't want to be the dad who's got to use, you know, I don't want to use like a Zimmer frame or yeah. I want to try and put off using a chair for as long as possible. Like, let's just try and build a, a stronger body as I can so I can be the best dad I can be. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like, as you said, that's a much more powerful driver than aesthetics because, mm. and I'm not, and this is absolutely no shade to people who train purpose, like their purpose. No, no, hundred percent. It can be quite a hollow goal because as you said, like you're never necessarily going to be there. Mm. Um, it's never a finish line. Like you're always wanting to change something else. And yeah. someone asked me yesterday in the gym, they said, oh, would you ever compete? And I've had that question asked numerous times over my career. And I was just saying, like, I'd always say like, it just doesn't, like everyone wants to look good. Like, you know what I mean? Everyone wants to have, be comfortable in their skin, you know, look good naked, look good in a swimsuit or, you know, in a t-shirt or you top off, whatever. But it doesn't really matter that much to me to kind of really go down that route. Yeah. You know, really restrict my diet massively. And like training hard is, you know, that's all good. But to then kind of go on stage and, do the posing and then get judged by someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't really know what I've gone through to then judge me on my kind of symmetry of my, and that I'm not going to be symmetrical. I've got, to, I'm not going to see, you know what I mean? I'm all, all lopsided. <laughs> so it's just, it's never really mattered to me that much. And again, just with visual aesthetics, even if you've got the most amazing body, you know, we're happy. And it's just a place of, you know, I'll be happy when I get here. Basically telling yourself, I'm I'm not allowing myself to be happy until. And I'm like, yeah, I, as much as looking good feels good, it's, yeah, it's not really the priority anymore. No. Like I'll always encourage clients to have like a performance goal or do, you know, let's aim to do something you couldn't do before. Let's aim to, you know, reduce your back pain. Let's aim to reduce you getting so puffed out going up and down the stairs. Let's say to run a 5K, do a pull-up, like have something that you want to work towards that you can actually see happening and feel awesome at the end of it, as well as, you know, 
dropping a couple of jean sizes and you know let's let's work towards that as well but if it's all purely kind of vanity and aesthetic driven yeah i feel like you said it's quite hollow and there's no end or no fit you know there never there never actually is an end line there's always you know you always keep going the goalposts move but for me kind of training for better quality of life is a lot more powerful agreed absolutely agreed so I like I think because you're born with limb difference like like myself I personally find one particular question the most annoying out of all the questions that I get asked Mm. and it's how did it happen and I was wondering if you had a question that you find like sometimes when you hear it again and again and again you're a bit like oh not again like oh not this one like I just I don't need to hear this again um I probably don't get as wound up by that question. I think people like they want to know, and there's sometimes this real kind of awkwardness or like apprehension and in the sense they might kind of offend or something like can I ask how it happened? Like I actually don't really mind that question. But um and like I'm quite an easygoing person. I don't feel that I get annoyed by it and I'm thinking that like, nothing's coming up now but I'll probably after the call I'll be like yes that pisses me <laughs> but it's no I don't really think that one annoys me so why does that grind your gears I think because when I was little it was around about the same time as um when the girl got her arm bitten off by a shark the surfer but that was like a huge thing in the press when I was growing up so a lot of people would automatically assume that the same thing had happened to me. <laughs> that's wild. Like we live in like, just no, that's no, that's like a once in like a million ex- like thing that's going to happen but mm. constantly. And I mean, like for a good three or four years. And I was about from about 10 to maybe I want to say about 14 people would be like, did your arm get bent off? And I was like, no like it didn't there's no there's no like no or they'd be like oh like were you in an accident and I was like no and that's also such a traumatic question no (laughs) I mean some people assumed I was military again Mm -hmm. not even in Germany just generally and um like some people kind of made jokes and like oh you should say you did this and that and I'm like I can't bring myself to bring like the say the military joke because you know there are so many servicemen who have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq like over the last, you know, 20 years with limbs missing. Like, that's not, that's not funny. That's not something to kind of joke about. No, and we know some of them as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what, like, now I'm in like, you know, I'm mates with some and, you know, they're in my circle. But I do remember once in Germany at, at a club, like, you know, after we'd had our game, we used to go to a local club and, one of our models was whether we win or lose, we booze. So this is a gives you an idea of what the culture was like. At this time. <laughs> Literally, we had an Australian, we had an, a Canadian, we had an American, we had like tons of different nationalities. You guys are always going to sink then. Always, always. exactly. So I remember once um, at this bar, and like a girl had asked you, like, "Oh, hey, what happened to your leg?" And I thought, let me just be a bit like, let me take the piss here a bit. And I was like, I was, I was. Um, deep sea diving in Australia and I got my leg bitten off by a shark and she just looked at me and she's like that's not true and I was like why like, why do you think I'm lying she's like black people don't deep sea dive <laughs> and I was like you got me <laughs> you got me I literally just burst out laughing I was like yeah yeah you're right you're right to be fair it's, it's not something that I would say I've ever done. What like, a quick comeback as well. It was so quick. I just had, I just cracked up. Like I nearly spat my drink out. I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, but, but she had, she was one of these like kind of Air Force base types. Like she knew a lot of people and, yeah. you know, she's like, she's like, nah, you're, you're not telling the truth. She's like, black people don't deep see that. Yeah, okay, you got me. But generally I'll just tell the truth. Like, it, you know, I'll, I might have a bit of fun and say like, what do you think happened? Or like, you know, what, you know, give me some, and people are like, oh, you know, motorbike accident, like, nah, this, that, the other. And to me, it's just like really boring. I was just born that way. I've just, yeah, just popped out with the one. 
you know, and I was like four months premature and stuff. So there's, you know, a lot of things I had to kind of overcome from yeah. a young age. But yeah, I never really got annoyed at a question so much. Although the one thing that does actually annoy me a little bit, not so much a question, but it's a lot more kind of older generations where they'll, they'll see me and they'll be like, oh, God bless you. Like, not like that, coming with that real, you're out here, you know, doing, you're doing like stuff. your daily life and you're an inspiration. Uh, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm going to Sainsbury's to pick up my sushi. <laughs> I'm picking up the sushi, you know, with my sound limb. That was the problem. You know what I mean, I mean, that's actually a good question, too, that I've been asked um, about that whole kind of you're an inspiration. Does that annoy me? Yeah. And I actually, don't take offense to it because I know it's coming from a, a a good place and the person's kind of gone out of their way to pay me a compliment or give me some kind of support or positive energy. And I'll always, you know, embrace it. I'll thank the person. But there is, if it's said in a certain way, or like I said, with like the kind of older generations where it's just like, oh, you know, like God bless you for being out and, you know, doing normal stuff. And I'm like, I've got, tons to be thankful for like I've still got my health I've got a functioning limb you know I've got a family I've got a job like I've, I've got tons of stuff to be grateful for yes I might be missing a leg but I'm generally living a full life yeah and you know I'm not like a rude person so I wouldn't ever like come back at them in a kind of rude way but it's just when they do come with it like the head cocked to the side and I uh, like the squinty eyes I'm like oh no nah, don't don't I'm, I'm fine <laughs> like I'm really fine out here like I don't, I don't need sympathy I'm good but yeah people don't generally mean to be like belittling or condescending big word but yeah it's it's not something that I really take offense to so much you must be a bit more placid than I am because I think I know for a fact that sometimes mine can stem from the fact that oh, people almost want a big story about mm-hmm. how my disability like, came to be. And I'm like, I, I just don't have a big story. And that also means that not everybody who is disabled has, has, a, massive has, story. has yeah. a massive story as to how they either acquired their disability or were born that way. Like that is just what it is. But because of the society that particularly one that I grew up in, disability was seen as like a, um, like a subset of something that had happened. It wasn't the first thought wasn't they were born with it. It would be what a consequence or yeah. uh yeah, a reaction like a yeah, yeah a secondary like thing. Like a secondary happened. thing that that happened in like a primary event. So it's happened because of this. Yeah. And not this is just how it is. And I think and especially being a woman, I was I've been asked that and I pro- will probably continue to be asked that throughout my entire life because I don't think um what disabled women don't get the same exposure as disabled men mm. but i think that's a different conversation for a different period in time <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a whole other podcast there. it's like a whole other like that's a whole other lake ocean pond yeah yep. that's kind of like a group discussion that <laughs> maybe i'll do a live panel <laughs> yeah yeah see we're onto something there very much so finally Tyler Saunders, can you say that you are disabled and proud? I am. I am. 100%. 100%. Thank you so, so much for coming on today. And thank you for giving up your free time to have this chat. I think it's been super enlightening to talk to you about your fitness and your journey and the space that you work in now and the work that you did with the adaptive games as well. Thank, thank you for coming. I mean, that's how we met. We didn't actually get to talk that much at the event, but I just remember shouting, being like, "You can do it!" One more calorie. <laughs> Come on, one more dumbbell snatch, and we're all in the hole, like literally all just gassed out. And yeah, it was a great day. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be really good. I'm really excited. I actually want to try and get like a group of us together, just to maybe like train somewhere and then go out for a meal or something. Not necessarily like a an adaptive games setting just something small because just to keep in touch and and that would be incredible because I think a lot of people got a lot of um goodness and they got a lot of a buzz out of that because it was probably the first time that a lot of people could compete against other people that were like themselves themselves 100% and that's that's massive because I know that when I go to competitions I'm nine times out of ten the only person that looks like myself (laughs) yeah like I'm going to NFGs and you know, high rocks and all these kind of 
functional fitness events. And I'm the, yeah, I'm generally the only adaptive athlete there. Not that that bothers me, but that's kind of what NFG are trying to change and, and do over here. But you never see anyone else like yourself and you're up against generally able-bodied, super fit individuals. Especially at High Rocks. <laughs> exactly. So, but that's all part of what I'm kind of doing now is just putting myself in these situations and trying to compete with myself. I'm not really trying to place on leaderboards and come first in anything in, in that kind of setting. But if people see me there, they're like, okay, if he can do it, there must be some space for me. Let's just adapt it and, and get it done. And then eventually we'll be, you know, competing in competitions with other, you know, single point athletes and, yeah. You know, so it's great what's what's happening in the fitness space in terms of kind of inclusivity and adaptations, and and we're we're at the forefront of it, and we okay. will continue to represent. Exactly. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. I super appreciate this, and I think this conversation is going to be super helpful for a lot of people. No, I've really enjoyed it. Um, let's do it again. If you love me again. Oh my goodness. Part two will come soon. Part two. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. It's been awesome. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.